Can the Pacers keep this up and keep getting wins without Tyrese Halliburton, or do they need to make some changes? Some good stuff and some bad stuff from Wednesday, plus a big road trip coming up, and it's going to be tough for the Pacers. Rep Bauer and I will break it all down today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, y'all? Happy Friday. Congrats, you made it through the week, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today we're talking more about Tyrese Halberton's absence for the Pacers. He did not play Wednesday. They found enough ways to score and defend to beat the Wizards. Is that sustainable? Do they need to change anything? At first, I liked some of the stuff they did after digging more into the numbers and talking with Rhett. Some things the Pacers certainly need to consider for their next coming games, which is actually a very tough six-game road trip. Something else we will talk about today, how many wins the Pacers need to get without Halberton to feel pretty good about what they're doing. Next Monday, I will be out of town, so I'm going to pre-record a fun trade, all trades episode for you guys. It'll be pre-recorded, so if anything dramatic happens this weekend, I apologize. I'll be a day late talking about it. And then Tuesday, back to the normal schedule, talking games, talking Pacers, talking Halliburton's absence. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show with Rhett. Let's just get right to it. After failed attempts around Christmas, he's back to talk some Pacers. It's Rhett Bauer. You've heard him here many a time. And we have a lot to cover ground-wise. After Tyrese Halliburton's first game absence wearing his Iowa State jacket after the Cyclones beat Jarris Walker's Cougars earlier this week, and they won, and they did some stuff that makes you go, yeah, and then you look a day later, and you're like, eh, maybe not. So we have a lot to talk about. They defended well against uh, the mighty Washington Wizards offense, which currently uh, ranks 25th in the NBA, and they only scored 112 points against the worst defense in the league. And yet... Some good, some bad in there. Rhett, your first impressions of the Tyrese Halberton-less Indiana Pacers. They were still able to beat a bad team, right? <laughs> Not like, always a guarantee this year. That's what, Especially against the Wizards. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think first game back after an injury like that with a guy who is that important as Tyrese Halberton to the play style of the Pacers, but also feels like the... Uh, energy level, like uh, the joy threshold for Tyrese Halliburton on the floor versus off is is very different. And so to see them come out and even beat a team who they should have already beaten this year but didn't is uh, is good. Can't can't be too mad about that. I think they they unfortunately, especially for me, who's like always a process long term guy, they have to be so results focused when he's out. Like. If it if they win 109-108 in Portland, they'll be like, heck yeah, we did it. We got to win. Because it's it, one, it doesn't, I mean, I guess there's a little bit I'll, I'll say about this, but like it doesn't really matter process-wise. Like he is their identity. So I had someone tweet at me this yesterday, which is actually interesting. It's like, is one bright side of this that you can evaluate the Pacers young players without Tyrese Halburn? And I was like, yeah, but for the Pacers specifically, <laughs> they probably care more about how the young guys look with Tyrese Halbert than without him, even though, yes, they can maybe get more reps. So it's kind of a really interesting thing where it's like you'll take the result. I guess that that's a silver lining, but I don't even think it's a silver lining because you almost want to see every young guy play with him as often as possible. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd rather not think about a future without Tyrese Halliburton, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I said a similar thing to uh, AJ Reese, shout out, friend of the pod. Right. Um, but I said this, the same thing where I was like, well, that's kind of good because like, you can see you know, Drew, if he's healthy, which he now is, comes back and gets more reps. You get Mather and gets more reps. Like It's it's good to have more opportunity, but like, does it actually end up mattering because you're going to have Tyrese Halliburton on the floor for 36 minutes a game for the next six, seven years, yeah. hopefully? Okay, so yes, yes, a couple things I want to hit on uh, as I've had a dust-settling day to think about this Pacers-Wizards game. Um, they So 31 assists was good to me, like having any level of successful ball movement. I just dropped my fidget spinners, and I have to actually focus on what I'm doing. Like, that was encouraging to me. I think four of their – or five of their first 30 makes were unassisted. Like, that is how they're going to have to generate offense without him. Because he is such a manufacturer of their baskets, and that guy being Tyrese Halbert. So I think we were just talking about off air, though, that I didn't talk about enough yesterday. I mentioned it, but not enough. They only took 25 threes in this game. Not only does Tyrese Halbert generate threes for his teammates, it's a very efficient and good shot for the Pacers if he dribbles a few times and takes a three himself. So he, by passing and shooting, probably generates 12 to 15 threes a game. So I'm not shocked that number is low, but... You know, on a night where they shot 45% from the field, they didn't have a ton of turnovers. They only, air quote, scored 112 because they didn't get up a ton of threes. So on one hand, you'd say, well, they're going to have to find a way to up the volume. On the other hand, Rep, the Pacers, uh, five highest games in two-point attempts this season. Would you like to guess a theme of those five games? Horrible opponents? Uh, I will. Well, yes, but that's not actually what I was going for. (laughs) The theme is of their top five games in two point attempts this year. So 64 plus three of them are against the Wizards. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so yes. So that is a horrible team, but that's not kind of what I was fishing for. So on one hand, I'm like, man, that's kind of bad that they didn't get up the threes. But on the other hand, when they played Washington on opening night, they took 64 twos. They took 67 Last night and last month when they lost in a pathetic fashion, they also took 67 twos. There are only two games above that were in Minnesota. Hey, Tyrus Halbert didn't play that either. And then the Milwaukee win in the in-season tournament in Las Vegas. So on part of me is like they got to get that three-point number up. 112 probably won't cut it enough on this trip against good teams. On the other hand, I'm like, well, they kind of were playing a team that they played into that style and they didn't – I mean, they were – short on every mid-range shot in the first half like maybe it'll just naturally settle into a higher number i'm not sure where i land on that but i thought after thinking more about it i'm kind of like i think they got to get to 35 without him yeah no i think that's a great call and the thing that i was looking for before coming into the game was what the pacers did at the free throw line because that's another place where i feel like halliburton not only himself just like with the threes but it's also the advantages he creates and then the open driving lanes that that creates off of the pump and go threes like with Neesmith specifically uh, and in the four games this year without Halliburton the Pacers have had taken 12 20 and 16 free throws before last night and so you know yeah. taking 24 against the Wizards is is pretty good. Like that's more than their average for the season. And so one or two free throws here and there isn't that big of a deal, but I do think it speaks to, like you said, how many shots they're taking in the lane, which they're kind of going to have to do if they can't generate the three point shots like they want to. Yeah. It's part of why I wanted to harp on the drive so much. Like, yeah, the passing part of that is really important because they have to make up for the passing ability they have lost. 
but they also can shoot from there. This bugged me a lot last night, though, and I just mentioned it. Like they, they, you can look at their shot chart in two seconds, and they have some guys who are good at the shot, but they took a ton of outside the restricted area in the paint twos, and like Nemhard has been money on those this season. He was not uh, against the Wizards. Bruce Brown was short on I think every single one he took. Like they, those will go better. But I, I always am like, just try to dribble one more time. <laughs> just get a little closer. Even if the big comes up to you, there's a pass somewhere else now or someone else has to rotate to the big. That That's just a little thing. And maybe they just start making those shots and it doesn't matter. But, yeah, I think that is, you know, a pretty important part of this. And uh, we'll see what kind of adjustments they can make offensively because the more I dug into the three-point number, I was kind of like, it's, the Wizards part of this is kind of interesting. But that they've got – I mean – well, their record in games where they take that few threes, I mean, they've only taken sub 30 twice all season. That was the second one, but they don't they don't look super high scoring games. It's not like their wins and losses are super tied to their attempts because they're a pretty accurate team, but uh, they don't take that many or that few very often. So uh, I, I'll be interested to see how they can balance those numbers out. Yeah, and I think the the player that I've been watching the most throughout this... Uh, can I guess? Lot, yeah, go ahead. Ben Matherin. No, actually. Ooh. Aaron Neesmith. Ah. Because okay. he, I think, him and Miles, I would say, obviously everybody benefits from Tyrese Halliburton being out there, but I think uh, Neesmith and Miles together probably benefit the most from Halliburton's creation. Like, I think uh, uh, either it was Kristen Airy or uh, Jeremiah last night. So, well, yes. Um, yeah. Said that Miles has scored the most points from a specific player in the NBA from Halliburton. And so looking at Neesmith and the threes specifically, like, okay, what happens with his production when he doesn't have that sort of advantage and then opportunity to take, to continue the advantage or take advantage of it. And so uh, I think that the guys like that, obviously Matherin too, um, just going to be really, really fun to see what they can do. And hopefully that means shooting better than 33% from the field from uh, Neesmith, Matherin, and Nimhard, all shooting uh, 33% or worse. Hey, guys, short little break here so I can talk to you about the lovely people over at Jace Medical. I know we come to talk about sports and escape from some of the crazy realities of real life, but we have to talk about preparing for real life. According to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade, which is scary. I can't imagine feeling more helpless than if someone I loved or someone I care about needed those and a supply chain issue kept them from the life-saving medication they needed. Thankfully, we here will be okay because of Jace Medical, who make the Jace case, a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinusitis, skin infections, among others. This stuff could happen to any of us. Visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It'll be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. Go to jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com. Use the offer code LOCKDOWN. You'll get $20 off your order. That's J-A-S-E-Medical.com, code LOCKDOWN. He's been really interesting because he has gotten better at straight line drives, but a lot of his best drives are the ones that like lead to him throwing down a dunk. You're like, oh, okay. It's like he catches on a pass, shot fakes, and because he's making so many threes, his defender's like, oh, crap, and they jump up, and then he runs right by him. And that's great, and that's not as easy to do without the best setup, man, and uh, on the perimeter in the NBA playing. So he is an interesting one to me because I kind of feel like he can be an, an offensive tool for them, but he can't just blow by guys as easily as he has been all season without Tyrese Halliburton playing. He even hit 40% of his threes 
what was he? That means he was one for four on twos Wednesday night. Yep. So uh, he's certainly an interesting one. Miles Turner was fantastic, though. He was. Yes. <laughs> he uh, has one of those games. This is very rare where your shooting percentage actually doesn't matter because you rebound so many of your own misses <laughs> that you're still scoring on or getting a shot for your team on that possession. Very rare that that actually is a thing where a seven for 15 game is really not as inefficient as it looks. So a springboard from this, this was the, the I, I mentioned this on yesterday's podcast. This was the talk of the media room before the game is what do they do lineup wise? Uh, I thought they would do what they did mostly because that's what they did in the second half against Boston, but also because it makes sense to try to lean into defense, but you, you they clicked in the third quarter and that won them the game. But in general, they're clearly going to be searching for an offense-defense balance with what they have available. And that's kind of a theme of their season, right? Their best defensive five and their best offensive five, they overlap with one player, Miles Turner, right? Maybe Aaron e. Smith now, but probably only one player. And so now with Halbert out, I think you have to think about that even more because you can't just have a guaranteed floor of good offense if he's on the court and you don't have to worry about your defense as much. Now you do, and they did have a good defensive night Wednesday to win, albeit against a terrible team. So to me, I think that the third quarter gave this the starters they used Wednesday a runway of another game in Atlanta, who also sucks at defense. So maybe they'll have another solid outing. But I I I am curious how as this progresses for however long he's out, two and a half weeks, three weeks, till they play the Kings. I don't know. In Indy, the Kings, not on the road, the Kings. Can do they need to try to mix and match a bit more, right? Does Buddy Heal need to start and then have one of Nemhard Brown, Neesmith be with the bench? Or does Mather need to start for the exact same reason? Or do you try to start OB permanently because then you're getting some shooting? I can't believe I'm saying that about OB Toppin, but getting some shooting into the starting five, like, and that did happen, but not by design. I will be curious how they manage those balances. And it's weird because in their win over the Wizards, they're starting five. With a defensive identity plus seven, there are plus five. Their full bench group with an offensive identity was plus three, and every mix and match group was dead even. So maybe what they're doing is fine, but I don't. I have a sneaking suspicion it won't be going forward, um, just given what we've seen from this team. So I wonder, especially because their best stretch against Boston actually came with McConnell as the point guard with that starting five, if they'll have to mix and match a little more just to get the right balance of offense and defense on the floor, what say you? Yeah, I think you definitely should look to do something else just because I don't think using the Wizards as a barometer for a <laughs> successful offense is, is going to be good moving forward for anybody else. A win, Brett. That's all that matters, a win. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <Right>? Yeah. <laughs> yep. And yeah, I mean, it does. It does matter. But again, if you want to carry this over and go against the Hawks, who you've scored one to 50 on twice, yeah. maybe you could say that that would work, too. <laughs> no, I think uh, I think putting either one of McConnell or Matherin in the starting lineup is probably going to end up being the move uh, just to get a little bit more driving like you said like mcconnell i think caitlin cooper put it out mcconnell's leading the league in drives per 100 possessions more than sga like 32.4 drives per 100 possessions which is just absurd and then obviously we know we know what matherin can do and so i think it's going to be a little bit tough to rely on uh bruce and drew to to do that sort of creation but 
that's also kind of what you're hoping for from either, especially Drew, but even Bruce a little bit of being better than what most Pacers fans seem to think. Um, I think he did. He did just fine. So if they wanted to keep it the same, I would not fault them at all. Yeah. I, I mean, I think they would reliably say, well, we think Andrew can be better, you know, and you know, he, he didn't play. He didn't make shots. He didn't play particularly well. Five turnovers. Yeah. Uh, three of them in like the first 90 seconds of the game. Like that was, uh, it took me two minutes to be like, Oh boy. <laughs> oh man. This could be worse than last year. And it, they, they won. We'll see the, and so, yeah, I agree that I wonder about the, the thing about McConnell. I wrote about this last year, like his low center of gravity means it's really hard to put a guy on him that he can't just like go underneath when he like does that weird, like looks like he's retreating and spins around the Steve Nash move. So he, and he's kind of like, he's fast. So he'll always be able to get into the paint. The reliability of that little fadeaway shot is it's still solid. It's not as good as it used to be. I think in the Bjorkren year, it was like one of the best shots in basketball. Um, it's solid though. So he's like a threat, right? Defense have to be like, Oh crap. He's within 10 feet of the basket. So that is really valuable, right? I think that's going to prove to be, you know, a reliable source of offense for them in this upcoming stretch. Not that shot, but like him getting close to the rim and making the defense do something about it. So how do you react to that if you're the Pacers? Do you try to have that be in your starting five? Do you make sure that it's always paired with your best shooters? You know, I I don't know exactly what that looks like, but maybe the answer is both. So I, I think I would stick with at least three of their best defenders left starting. Miles Turner is going to start no matter what, so you're guaranteed one. So two of Neesmith, Brown, Nemhard need to start to me. Like you can't, and the the utility of a good defender is that they are defending the best action the other team has, right? So you want them against the other team's starters as much as possible. But if there's a way to get more offense in with that starting group via pulling one out, and maybe it's Matherin who, like he had an off shooting night, but this is why his floor can be high. He gets the line eight times, and then it's fine, and he does good stuff. Or maybe he passes a little better, or his three falls better. Like there are ways he can be more effective. Although we'll see. I mean, you saw it took three drives for the just to be like, yeah, we're just going to send two guys <laughs> right to you when you dribble once. So I don't think the answer is Matherin starting because of that, unless his passing uptick happens. Um, but I will be curious, especially when if when whatever Jalen Smith comes back, what the cell looks like and what tweaks they feel like they need to make. Yeah, the Jalen Smith point was the next one I was going to make because it might not even matter what the other players are. If they intend to bring Jalen Smith back, the difference between him and OB as shooters kind of matters a little bit. Like Jalen is hitting 48% this year, but it's on 2.3, whereas OB, I believe, is taking a 3.5 at 41%. So it's not that much different, but it just feels like defenses respect them differently. They both have decent volume and good accuracy, but I just feel like their historic track records mean that they get about the same level of it. Their teams are still afraid of it, but it's about the same level to me. Yeah, I, I would agree. I don't think I don't think defenses respect either of them to a degree that is it matters, but I think that Jalen might rely more on somebody to create for him than what Obi would. I agree. And so then you're like, okay, you take that self-creation or the, just the creation in general down a notch. How effective is Jalen there versus someone like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think it matters. Like the three-point shooting is probably not that much of a difference between the two, but the the starting lineup as a whole, if it's going to change and you're going to bring Jalen in and then it's, you're looking at Drew, Jalen, Neesmith, but Bruce and Miles, like that's just a, 
that's a pretty rough group of, uh, of decision makers and quick processing and stuff yeah. like that. Not to say that OB and Jalen are that much different in that capacity either, but it <laughs> uh, just feels like there's going to be some changes. So if you're going to make one, why not make another? Yeah, we, I agree. We will see where that shakes out, but I think that a key part of this will be figuring out that balance for the Pacers. Cause I, 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 I suggested it and I still think that leaning in as much on defense as you can is going to be a good move, but that was dependent on that five being capable enough offensively. And there was just enough hints Wednesday that maybe they can't be, maybe they, maybe they are only going to be a one twelve offensive rating group and not like one sixteen. And that's a big difference. Like that's four or five points in a game. And especially for the Pacers at their pace. And that was interesting. Okay, so this is interesting. I didn't get to say this on yesterday's show. Did it feel like this to you, Rhett, that they were playing slower in the first half than the second half? Yes, absolutely. Okay, they they all said that was not on purpose, <laughs> right? So I think that that's a second part of this that's interesting. And and this, some of this was that Jalen Smith was out, but like the starters Wednesday had never played together ever. And like Bruce and Obi are both new to the team, so I get that. So the Smith lineup had played together, but the first time was on against Boston Monday. Right. So like a secondary part of finding the lineups is like, there's going to be a lot of no chemistry or low chemistry groups that might just unintentionally not play the style they want to. Cause they don't know how, like you'll have combos of four that have played together and all that. It's not like so foreign to any of these guys, but I, I didn't even think about that. Like Bruce and miles were on the podium after last game. I didn't even finish the question. I was like, was that what you were trying to do? Did you try to speed it up in the second half? Before I even finished it, I was like, no, we did not. <laughs> that was bad. We did not mean to do that. So I'm curious how that bakes into it. It's And Kalen's pointed this out before. Like sometimes the other team can't scout you because they don't know what your lineup's going to look like either. But if you don't, you know, if you have to figure out your own advantages as you're playing and they did Wednesday, like that's not great. So I will be curious too if, they maybe try to find some stuff that has worked historically or just lean in that way. And maybe that is Neesmith Nemhard. They've played a ton together. I don't know. But there's there's a lot of ways that could look. Uh, but I'll be curious if that ends up mattering a lot because they looked really ugly and sluggish to start Wednesday's game. One more break here, guys, so I can talk to you about the lovely folks over at Prize Picks, the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. What you do on Prize Picks is simple. You pick more than or less than on two to six players and watch your winnings roll in. You're not battling other players including pros or sharks or whatever. It's just you versus the stat projections, which is what makes it so fun. For example, Kevin Durant, more than or less than 28 points, or Trey Young, more than or less than 10 assists. Around those lines, you pick more than or less than every night for two to six players, and you can win. You can even combine leagues in their specials league. For example, LeBron James and Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three-pointers made plus receptions. They even have a reboot policy on prize picks. So your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured how fantastic is that? If they don't return for the second half, rebooted. How about that? Check out Prize Picks. Go to PrizePicks.com slash LockdownNBA. Use the code LockdownNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. How about that? PrizePicks.com slash LockdownNBA. Use the code LockdownNBA for a $100 first deposit match at Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Sports Made Easy. Yeah, and at the same time, I'm not sure any of it is going to be consistent enough to get any <laughs> conclusions from it. Like you said, it could just maybe be, so. It could just be shifting, you maybe know, so. a different starting lineup every game until Tyrese is back. But uh, <laughs> I, I do want. Do you think there's any important information to be gathered from a specific lineup, either starting, mm. closing, anything like that? Is there any lineup that you are actually hoping to get something out of? Okay, uh, 
my first brain thought that I'm I'm going to think out loud because I didn't expect you to ask me questions today. Uh, Matherin Turner pairing perhaps is something I would, if I'm the Pacers, I would explore information about. You know, Turner and Halburn have been the highest volume successful pick and roll pairing this season, and obviously Halburn is a significant part of that. I don't want to belittle that, but like, can that free up Ben for some easy stuff? Can he attack it quickly and get to key spots? And they both seem like relatively core players for the Pacers' future. Um, Nemhard plus anybody, because this year has been a weirdly exploratory year for him in terms of position and role, and he's been hurt a lot, so it's been hard to find any consistency. But not, not really uh, yeah. because of what we said earlier, where it's like your fit with Halberton is more important than your fit without him, unless you're TJ McConnell, basically. Or Nemhard. Right. <laughs> No, I think that I think that that's the right answer. It's just Matherin plus anybody, yeah. hopefully Miles Nimhard plus anybody, and then uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm looking at Neesmith just to try to get engaged of like what we can expect him to be, you yeah. know, because he continues to improve and he continues to surprise and do other things, um, but you know, eventually there's going to be a limit to be like, okay, this is kind of where you are and what we can expect from you moving forward. So I'm just trying to watch all of that to see what it looks like because there will be like 10 to 12 minutes or I guess 10 to 15 minutes a game where Halliburton does not play moving forward unless yeah. we uh, hire Bjorken back. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lordy. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would like to bring up one more historic point before we move on to the last thing I'm going to talk about today. Last year, Tyrese Halliburton gets hurt in New York, right? They have 10 games without him. They lose by two to Atlanta in a, in a game that, man, if they had that, that would have been nice last year. And then they get smoked by Memphis, smoked by Milwaukee, smoked by OKC, and smoked by Denver, right? Three of those were 20-point losses. What do they do, Red? Do you remember what they did in their next game in Phoenix? Uh, did they change the starting lineup? They did. You know who started? Uh, Matherin? TJ McConnell. Oh, TJ McConnell right. started in Phoenix. They lost that game by five and were much better. He had 18, 10, and 12, a triple-double. Then they beat the Bulls. Then they barely lost to the Magic, right? So we have precedence of the Pacers going, you know what? Maybe we do need to get some drives and rim attacks in the starting five that Tyrese Albert, and they turned to TJ McConnell. Obviously, they're hoping Nemhard's growth can supplant that and be the right answer, but We've seen this before. We'll see if they have to do it again. Winning the first game without him this time instead of losing by two, I think, uh, gives them a little more runway this time. And that takes me to the last thing we need to get to today. Last year, they were also on a road trip, unfortunately, uh, at the time of no Halberton with at Memphis, at Orlando, at Phoenix, at Denver, at OKC, at Milwaukee, being six of their 10 games without Halberton. Brutal. And this year's is harder. <laughs> Amazingly, not necessarily because of opponent quality, but two back-to-backs on the trip, including the hardest back-to-back possible in the NBA, and then returning with even more brutal games. They're actually very lucky that one of their games this month got significantly easier uh, in the last few days. But their upcoming trip, starting tonight in Atlanta. Atlanta, they can beat they, they can beat Atlanta without Hubbard. I'm not saying they will, but they can. The, the Hawks deep. Hawks defensive ratings. <laughs> the Pacers passed them. The Pacers are 26 in defensive rating. That's how bad the Hawks have been defensively. Then it's at Denver. They could lose that game by 30, and I don't think anyone would care, think anything weird about it. Then it's at Utah, who people keep saying they, they could beat Utah. No, they can't. Utah's been like the best team in the NBA the last two weeks. I think they have the best record in the last 10 games of any team. And again, that's the hardest back-to-back in the league. Can they win? Sure. They beat Utah handily early this season, but will they? I don't know. Then they're fortunate to have a two-day gap. 
Then it's at Kings, which is going to be an emotional game. Back-to-back in Portland. So, yes, Portland is winnable. Portland's offense is just, oh, my God, watching them is, is – they're one of my least favorite watchers. It's really not, like, awful, awful, but I mean, 108 offensively is terrible. They can beat Portland, but it's a back-to-back, right? So that just speaks to how hard this is, that there are two games that week that are winnable are the second night to back-to-backs. Then it's at Phoenix. I mean, the Suns don't aren't awesome this year, but good luck. They come home for Denver, Philly, Phoenix. I mean, if you were predicting, do they win more than two between Atlanta and home at Atlanta tonight and home versus Phoenix on the 26th? Uh, No, (laughs) I I, I mean, more than two. No, I don't think so. And the other thing, the Sixers Phoenix games, even though they're at home, also a back to back. Also back to back. Yes, I did forget that one. (laughs) No, they will not win more than two. It's crazy. It is really crazy how tough. Their month. And we've talked about how tough their month is, and they did great to beat Milwaukee twice and beat Boston. Like that gives you a huge cushion, but it's still a tough month. And now you don't have Tyrese Halliburton. So the games you'd think they could win, could win Atlanta tonight, maybe. Atlanta's falling apart. DeJounte Murray was literally the only good Hawks player when they were in Indy last week. And Trey Young should be better than that, but man. The Hawks are depressing. Uh, Portland, they can beat. They lost to Portland at home already. And Portland's good when Brogdon plays, but they are a turnstile of lineups. And they can't score at all. They can beat Portland, but it's a back-to-back. Um, maybe they can beat Phoenix at home, but that's also a back-to-back. And Phoenix is really good and has some wings. So I just – I think if they win three – of the, what is that? Ten games we have been talking about. Nine games. They can go three and six, so they would also be twenty-five and twenty-one at that point. I think they have to go. Yes, heck yeah! Now we can play Memphis, who's so banged up. They're not going to have Marcus Smart. They're not going to have John. They're going to have half their team for Pete's sake. Maybe Halbert's even back by then. If they can go three and six, I think that's a huge win. And I think that it's more likely that they win zero of their next nine than four or more. Like, that's how much important it is to any win in this next stretch, even if it's the ugliest, fartiest, yuckiest game ever. They have to fist pump and be so psyched because they need all of the ones they can get. So uh, one aspect of this that could end up mattering is the Pacers game at Phoenix is Phoenix's first night of a back-to-back. Okay. But they play Chicago. So I don't know how much Um, that that the Suns will – take that into consideration. I'm just looking for any sort of way that they could get to that. <laughs> Suns aren't that, that good. I mean, they have awesome win. players, but they haven't been that good. If Kevin Durant plays, he's going to get 45 <laughs> points. Like that's just, there's zero chance that the Pacers could stop him in un, under any circumstances. So I'm not going to go through all of the schedules live here on the pod. Cause that would be horribly boring, but I, <laughs> I completely agree. Three and three and six over the next nine is good. Like that is, that's very good, but zero out of nine, definitely more than four out of nine, because those are some really good teams that also like can beat the Pacers at their own game without Halliburton. Like yes. we're not looking at teams that, you know, Portland is horrible offensively, but the jazz can score a bunch. The Kings, obviously we know what they can do. Denver, not even going to be worth and then Phoenix twice, Denver twice, Sixers. Like those are teams that are just going to absolutely blitz the Pacers. And I'm not sure we're going to have the firepower to keep up with them, even if there are some outlier games, positive, negative, you know, some injuries, people sitting. Like, although Joel Embiid out, 
the last last night, I think it was last game that they played. So maybe there'll be. Yeah, uh, he got hurt hunting his 30 and 10 again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he does destroy Turner. So, but it also seems like at a, at a certain point, he actively chooses to not play against Turner some games because then it's just like, I don't even need to bother dealing with this. So maybe there's a chance that they could get, uh, but no, they're not going to get, they're not going to get four wins in the next nine. Yeah. I, if they get four, if they go four and five, I don't even know when Halburn's coming back to be clear. I'm just looking at the next nine games because the 10th game is Memphis. And even in the current state, I think the Pacers have a better roster than Memphis right now at no fault of Memphis. who's just had the saddest, yuckiest season of all time. Um, they can win that game one and eight until the Memphis game and they're 500 entering it. Right. So like they're probably going to exit January over 500, right. Which is a success. And then Halburn's back and you have some winnable ish games and then the trade deadline happens. And then they actually don't like their, their ride out from the trade deadline to the end of the season. is not that hard. Like they got so much smacked into January, right? Like every team in the NBA is kind of good this year. But they, they've already done all the elite teams except for OKC. So if they get out of January over 500, I think they'll be happy. And that's all going to count on, I think, these next nine going at least two or three wins. But that is exceedingly difficult. So I am both looking forward to it and a little worried just because of how hard their schedule is. And it's been a talking point all month, and they've done well to take care of business. But now the degree of difficulty has gone from <laughs> – Five to five thousand. So we'll yeah, see. as a uh, as a Colorado transplant from Indiana, <laughs> I am quite bummed that the Pacers oh. will be playing the Nuggets in Denver without Halliburton to the point where I'm not even sure I'm going to go now. But you can see Bruce Brown get his ring, Red. That's cool. I can. I that would be cool. And I, I still haven't decided yet, but <laughs> I mean that is just going to be. Uh, I mean, maybe if I can get a first half ticket and just like beat traffic <laughs> out of there, would that be yeah. a thing? <laughs> How expensive are Nikola Jokic tickets? I don't imagine they're crazy. They're pretty pricey, actually. Yeah. Which is funny because no one in Colorado cares about basketball, but no one listening to Locked On Pacers cares about Colorado and is not caring <laughs> about basketball. So I, I didn't think I'd talk about this because I forgot it was a thing that happens on Thursdays now. Um, okay. I, I, we're just going to throw this in to close on this. How ridiculously cool is it for the Pacers that we're a week away from the end of All Star voting? And Tyrese Halburn has more fan votes than Steph Curry. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> That's crazy. It's, it's so awesome. Like, if ever there was an indication that Tyrese Halliburton is like the guy, it's it's something like that, yeah. right? Like, because there's levels to superstardom. There's levels to who a player is to a franchise versus who he is to the league as a whole, but also the league as a fan base. And yeah. to see him up there in the voting like that is just. It's so cool and well-deserved. And, and it'll be just like last year, where if they just are god-awful without him again, it makes his all-star case even better. And he made it last year, despite not playing those games leading up to it. And it looks like if he wins the fan voting in the East, which he is well ahead of two and three, which is currently um, Trey Young, and I forget who's third, that Trey Young just passed, Damian Lillard. Um, great chance to start. Great chance to start. So that's exciting. I don't have much to add to that because I don't think anyone doubts he should be an all-star. It's not like last year. I'd be like, well, it's going to be close with like Drew Holiday and all these guys. No, he's going to make it this year. But starting, no, especially in Indy, would be uh, very cool. Yes, absolutely right. I mean, Derek White might have a case, but not over Tyrese Halliburton. We don't need to get into that. I think Derek White should be an all-star this year. I don't. I think, think it would be cool be. for him to get I don't it. think he will be, but I think no. he could. Yeah. It's going to be like, um, I can't remember what year this was. 
everybody wanted Jared Allen to make it. What year was that? 2021? Yeah. And he didn't make it. And then there were three injury replacements. Yes. And he was the third one. And I was like, yes, Jared Allen rightfully deserved all-star. Maybe it'll be like that where like three guys get hurt and Derek White gets to play in the game. I think it, I would think it would only probably need like one or two injuries depending on where he's it was. Been, but he's probably been one of the best 15 players in the East. So maybe one yeah. or two, right? Yeah. yeah. But positions, I, unfortunately, make it extremely difficult. Also scoring. Well, he doesn't ask to. It's not his fault. I don't I'm know. not saying it is. I'm just saying, like, you can. <laughs> Trey Young is second in the fan vote. In well, Trey the, deserves it. Trey's been awesome this year. I know, but I'm just saying, like, that is the type. Like, they're, they're not taking record into consideration at all. It. There, that's yeah. all. Yeah. God. The poor Hawks. I have nothing to say <laughs> about the Hawks. The Pacers played the Hawks, and I, I guess, I guess, uh, we'll see how that goes. The Hawks, uh, like the Blazers, are one of my least favorite watchers this season. Even though Trey Young has been. That good rat. We did it. We figured out how to schedule stuff. I am very bad. Here's what happened. So people so people can know how bad I am at doing my job <laughs> of booking other people to come on this show. It was like two days after Christmas. And I was like, I'll do one guest show this week, right? No one wants to talk to me around Christmas. And at like two in the morning, I was like, oh, maybe Rhett's, maybe Rhett's available. And I messaged him and I said, tomorrow in the message. For me, it was two in the morning. So I'm thinking tomorrow is like the next day but it is the same day but in terms of actual time tomorrow would be like a full date later but Rhett correctly said yeah mountain i could do that you were also <laughs> it was like 1 a.m so you were thinking mountain time so oh, if it was, was 11 p.m my time it me. technically would have been tomorrow <laughs> but i was in indiana and so i was working on eastern time for whatever that's reason. right i forgot about that part yeah. i was not in eastern time at the time so right. anyway now i am very we are we are syncing up the calendars, baby. <laughs> January 11th. <laughs> there is no tomorrows. There is no hours. No. We will figure it out. And uh, the next show you'll hear from me will be pre-recorded significantly. Uh, I will be uh, gone this weekend, so I will be watching the Hawks and Nuggets game very much later than the rest of you. So I will pre-record all trade stuff because it will come out January 15th and people like trade stuff, and that's a good trade day. And then we'll talk about Jazz, Nuggets, and Hawks on Tuesday. Then right back into normal stuff to the extent that we can. I hope that works. Rhett, thank you for the time. Where can people find you and your work covering the whole league and fantasy basketball and sort of the Pacers? Yeah, find me on Twitter at Rhett underscore Bauer. Uh, I have this. I've been working on something for a very long time that I continue to all of the time taken away from it that I'm supposed to be working on it. So uh, maybe I'll have something posted soon, but if not, I'll definitely have Pacer thoughts uh, sporadically, especially about this Hawks game that I'm going to be watching. Any win for the Pacers is a good win until Tyrese Albert is back. That is the theme here. Locked on Pacers until that time. Enjoy tonight's game. Enjoy your weekend. We'll see you Monday talking. My favorite thing, trades, fake trades. Heck yeah. Tell that everybody a great weekend.